0: Well, if you haven't caught the drift yet today, we're talking about worship. This is the last Sunday of this You Asked For It series, and so many of you wrote in questions like like this. Maybe it didn't have the, the word worship specifically, but it... It was questions like this. How do, I, how do I really get to know God? Or how do I have an intimate relationship with the Lord? Or, and then one of you specifically said, I want to know how to worship the Lord. And speaking of worship, can we just thank this amazing team? Thank you, Colby, for just leading us into the presence of the Lord. You know, I look around the room, and it's, and it's always interesting when I'm leading worship or when I'm speaking, the different responses that everybody has. Everybody worships in a different way. Some of us are super zealous and passionate. You know, we, we have both hands in the air, and we're shouting, and we're jumping, and we're even dancing. Can I say that in a Baptist church? Where it's just craziness, you know. And then at the other times, you know, there's people who are more stoic and very... Very uh, reserved in their in their response to worship. I, I'll never forget the the comment my mom made uh, one time, and I've told you this before, but it just still makes me laugh. I, we got home from a service one Sunday morning, and my mom, she's a super cute little girl. She's about five foot one, weighs about ninety eight pounds, and we're sitting at lunch, and she said, "Honey, that worship this morning was so powerful, I almost lifted my hands." <laughs> I was like, well, mom, let's not get out of control. But uh, look, I'm not asking you to be out of control today, but I do think that worship should be out of coma. Hello. You know why? Because we should be passionate about the God that saved our souls. We should be zealous about worshiping Him. But if all you have is zeal and no knowledge, then You're missing out on a huge part of what your worship experience can be. You know, when we have all these students come from Liberty, I mean, come to Liberty in the fall, you know, it's so fun because we'll have another batch of like 4,500 freshmen. And so many of them come in and they're so passionate about the Lord and their worship is so passionate. But our goal at Liberty is to not just encourage the passion. We certainly don't want to squelch it. But what we want to do is underline it with a foundation of doctrine and theology that will in turn make that passion all the more passionate because they now have a knowledge of who they're worshiping, not just a passion about Him. So today, specifically, I want to talk to you about worship, but worship that begins in the mind. In the mind. Now before we get there let's just establish a few things. Uh, w- let's just establish what is worship. Well let me start with just telling you what worship is not. Worship is not music. Worship is not a song. Worship is not a style of a song. Now everybody likes different kinds of music but it's such a subjective thing you know. And, And and it's good that we use music for worship, but worship is not music in and of itself. Worship is not something that we reserve for just a few moments on a Sunday morning each week. Worship is so much deeper than just music and the singing of our songs. So what is worship? Well, we need to look at worship from a much broader perspective than just music or even a department of a church. Worship is the very reason we exist It's the one thing we're going to do for eternity. You know that? Worship is the major issue for all of us and all of creation. And the simplest definition of worship that I can give you is actually the central theme of Scripture. And it's called the greatest commandment. You find the greatest commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 6. But you'll also hear Jesus quote the greatest commandment in Mark chapter 12 and also in the book of Matthew. Can anybody tell me what the greatest commandment is? You know it. Mark chapter 12 verse 30, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, and with all your soul. That's worship. So if I was to give you the best definition I've ever heard for the term worship, You know, there's a lot of definitions out there, but really when it comes down to it, the simplest, most profound definition of worship that I've ever heard is simply that, the great commitment. It's two power-packed words that hold the secret to living. Worship simply is this, loving God. With all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, So if worship is loving God as a lifestyle with all that we are and all that we have, then how can we possibly, how can we possibly reserve that for just one day a week? Or just a few songs in a worship service? Or an hour a week together with our friends and believers? Or for some, just a couple of Sundays a year, Christmas and Easter? And every time we have a Christmas service, I just want to kind of get up and tell everybody Happy Easter because that's the next time we're going to sing a whole lot of them. And did you know this? Did you know that you were created to worship? That's the reason you're on this planet? Some of us don't have that mindset. Some of us think that we're here for something else. But really, the reason you exist is for Him. All of us are born with this innate need to worship something. Whether it's money or some sort of celebrity or position or power ourselves, we all end up worshiping something because we have this need that's born within us to do so. But I want to remind you today that God put that need there. God is the one who put this desire in your heart to worship something. He's the one that put this need in your life to worship something or someone. But his greatest desire is that you do what he created you to do, and that is to worship him. Colossians chapter 1 is such a great example of this. What does Colossians chapter 1 say? It says he is the image of the invisible God. Who are we talking about? Who's he? Jesus. He's the firstborn over all creation in heaven and on earth. The visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, listen to this, all things have been created through him and, say this with me, for him. Did you ever realize that you were created for Jesus? You weren't just created by him, you were created for him. You exist for his glory. You were created to worship God. So worship happens when the power of God's Holy Spirit moves within us this desire to give glory and honor to the one who's provided for us the very life that we live. Worship is a gift from God to us, but it's expressed from our hearts to Him. Now, isn't that just like God? We just sang this word so selfless. This is so like God. That even the very thing, worship, that's created to give Him glory would actually be a gift back to us and end up blessing us as well. Isn't that just like God? Wow. So our worship should encompass every aspect of our lives. It's setting our mind's attention and our heart's affection on the King of kings and the Lord of lords in all that we do and with all that we And when we do this, we can't simply diminish all that down to just a few songs in a church service, can you? No, no, no. Our very existence as worshipers should be an all-out, sold-out, lived-out, fleshed-out exclamation of the goodness and the glory and the grace of God. That's what worship is. So you may or may not like the songs we do on a Sunday around here, but that should never affect Your worship. So many times I go to these church services in other churches around the country and the worship music is horrible. It's awful, y'all. But I'm not gonna let that affect my worship. You know why? Because my worship doesn't depend on a band or a leader or a song choice or a song style. It's much deeper than that and yours should be too. So if we ever do a song up here that you don't like, hang on, it's gonna be over in four minutes. You'll be all right. But don't let that affect your worship. I mean, good grief, what are we we going to do when we get to heaven? What if they're doing songs in heaven that you don't like? Have you ever thought about that? What are you going to do, write an anonymous letter to God? Dear God, I just didn't like the sound of that song today. I didn't like it. I just didn't like it. It hurt my worship. No, it shouldn't ever hurt your worship. Now, just because it may not be a style of a song that you like, that shouldn't matter. I go to churches all the time and I hear this comment. You know, we, we we don't like the worship there. No, no, no. What you're really saying is you don't like the music there. Because music is not worship. Worship is so much deeper. It's something that comes from the depths of your being. It's a deep connection with God. And it's so much deeper than a melody of a song. Because true worship comes from the depths of our soul. It's an expression of thanksgiving from our whole being. It's a song of praise that goes beyond melody or harmony or rhythm or rhyme. And oftentimes it will leave you at a loss for words in the presence of His beauty and His holiness. So get past thinking that worship is just a song. Songs are just an element of your worship. They're what should prompt the praise in your heart. But that praise should come much deeper than an opinion or a subjective thing as shallow as just music or emotion. So if that's what worship is, then how do I worship God? Well, let me just start with this. Worship is a two-sided coin. It's both individual and it's corporate. So today we're gathered together for corporate worship on a very cold Sunday before Memorial Day. (laughs) Can y'all believe it's so cold outside? I can't believe it. I mean, my dad said the other day, he said, if this global warming continues, I'm gonna freeze to death. (laughs) It's true. I can't believe it's so stinking cold on Memorial Day weekend. But that's the way it is. And so we are gathered here, and what we're doing right now is called corporate worship. We've gathered together in one accord, a very large Honda, (laughs) and uh, we're worshiping the Lord. Now that's corporate. But there's another side to worship, and that's individual. Individual worship. Now, let me tell you something. We got corporate worship down pretty good. Most of us don't have any problems showing up on a Sunday morning and gathering with fellow believers and worshiping the Lord, right? But individual worship is much tougher. Can I just tell you this, though? Individual worship is where you really learn to worship. Because what happens, you see, is you'll come in here on Sunday morning and you'll use these songs of praise and the sermon or whatever else you might, the fellowship of believers. And, you, and if you come in empty, what you're expecting to do then is take this one little moment we have together and allow that to fill you up for the week. But the problem is it won't fill you up for the week. And by tomorrow morning when the first problem hits, you're going to be empty again so what you need is individual worship and I'm telling you if you'll get with the Lord every day spend time in prayer dive into his word fellowship with him spend time with other believers and gird yourself up every day strengthening yourself in the Lord and growing in him as an individual what will happen is that Sunday morning experience will totally change for your life See, what makes a great church great in a worship experience is when you get a bunch of individual worshipers all in the same room together at the same time, because they're not coming to Sunday morning service to get filled up. No, they're already full. And instead of using this one hour to get filled up, instead, you're full of the Lord. You're full of his power and his presence. And that Sunday morning experience now just becomes an overflow of what he's already doing in your heart. You see, the difference with individual worshipers is that Sunday morning corporate worship time now is just an overflow, an hallelujah moment. But for those who don't worship as individuals, you're taking this one little hour we have together and trying to fill yourself up for the week. And then you forget about it the rest of the week. That's not a lifestyle of worship. So if you really want to know what it is to worship the Lord, then you have to do it individually and Corporately, Now, does that mean we walk around just singing songs of praise all the time? No, because worship isn't music. Listen, anything and everything you do that has the purpose of glorifying God in your life is an act of worship. How you spend your money, how you spend your time, where you go, who you hang with, what you do. You can mow the lawn and worship the Lord at the same time. You know that. It's everything that you do. It should encompass all aspects of our life. But most of all, let me just tell you this, and let's get to the heart of what we're going to talk today about. Worship begins in the mind. Worship is expressed from the heart, but it begins in the mind. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians to contemplate His glory. Worship is a conscious decision of the mind. You decide who you will worship when you will worship, how you will worship. And it's this all-encompassing. It's not a part-time deal. It's a total transformation of our mind that Paul mentions in Romans chapter 12. It means that we convert our spiritual and our mental energy toward Him more and more as we grow closer to Him. Now, the mind is a powerful thing. Our thoughts determine our actions, don't they? So it's not what we think we are, rather it's what we think we are. Proverbs 23, verse 7, for a man, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I read this week about 15 professors who are really known as great thinkers. They got together to actually have a conference on thinking. So can you just imagine this? 15 of the greatest thinkers getting together to think about a conference on thinking. And they came to this conclusion, and I love this statement that they made. What the mind attends to, it considers. What the mind does not attend to, it dismisses. What the mind attends to continually, it believes. And what the mind believes, it eventually does. Can I simplify that for you? What we ponder, we eventually practice. Thinking, said Henry Ford, is the hardest work there is, which is why so few engage in it. (laughs) Did you know that according to the National Science Foundation that the average person will have between 12,000 and 70,000 thoughts a day? Now that's a pretty wide spectrum, isn't it? It means that some of you in this room will have 70 thoughts today. That's a lot of, some of you are great thinkers. It also means that some of you Hardly think at all, because you only have about 12,000 thoughts. So we have this wide range of the average of thoughts, according to scientists. Everything from, actually, I read one article, it said 5,800 thoughts, all the way up to 70,000 thoughts a day. But let's just say, for the sake of argument, that an, on average, human beings have 70,000 thoughts a day. That's a lot of thinking. Everything from, hey, I think I'll pick up my Bible to, hey, I'll walk across the room to all the things that we think about even much deeper than that. But let's say on average we have 70,000 thoughts a day. Well, that's over 25.5 million thoughts a year. That's 1.9 billion thoughts over a 75-year lifespan. Now, here's what scientists have discovered, and this is incredibly discouraging. Of those thoughts, most people... 75 to 80% of those thoughts are negative. Is it any wonder why we have so many people struggling with depression? So if that's true, then, then that means out of 70 thoughts a day, 56,000 of them are negative. Now, you can just imagine how powerful an influence in your life 56,000 daily negative thoughts can be. I mean, at some point, you start to believe all the bad stuff you're thinking, wouldn't you? You'll buy into the negativity, and negative thoughts drag us down. They make us sometimes physically ill, spiritually bankrupt, mentally drained, emotionally rattled, relationally broken, and sometimes even financially ruined. But I'll tell you what it'll do more than anything else is it will mess up a lifestyle of worship. We tend to breed doubt and insecurity with our negative thoughts. And this is one of my weaknesses, to be honest with you. I'm pretty good at finding what's bad about stuff before I see what's good. It's just a natural inclination I have. I can be at times a very negative thinker. But I've had to tell myself to stop spewing doubt over my own world with negative thoughts and words. That's not an act of worship. That's the evil one doing everything he can to keep your mind off of what you should be thinking about. Right? And so, I guess that begs the question, well, then what should we think about? Well, I'm glad you asked. The Apostle Paul gives us the answer, right, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. He gives us this list of things on which we should keep our minds focused if we're going to live a lifestyle of worship or have the mind of Christ. I want you to look at just verse 8 with me. Of course, the two verses leading up to that, I I mentioned just the last time I spoke to you about about, uh, fear and anxiety. He says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts, here it is, and minds in Christ Jesus. So finally, brothers and sisters... Let's read it together. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things or dwell on these things. Listen to what the theologian Ray Pritchard said. The principle behind Paul's words in this verse is simple. Sin always begins in the mind, but so does holiness. When Paul says, think about these things, it's actually a command to us in the present tense to actually, what he's meaning is, keep on thinking about these things. So if you want peace in your life, then use your mind to think on these things Your godly thoughts will bring you peace because they will determine godly actions. Now, I would love to take eight weeks and unpack one week at a time every one of those words that Paul mentions, because he mentions eight different things. But because we're talking about worship today, I just want to take one word. This is a one-word sermon, that last word, whatever things are praiseworthy. What is that word? Well, the Apostle Paul uses the Greek word there, apinos. Say it with me. Apinos. E P A I N O S. It's translated worthy of praise. It's a compound word. Epi meaning upon, inos meaning praise. So this word actually could be translated to heap praise upon. But the meaning that best translates, for us in English, is to give great applause or express approval of. So what Paul is saying to us is that we are to think upon those things in our life that are worthy of an applause. Now, I live half my life on the platform, singing songs and doing concerts. And you know what? When an audience applauses, I like that. And when they give me a standing ovation, makes me feel really good. Who doesn't want to get an applause or an ovation, right? Well, what Paul is saying here is that this kind of transformed thinking will bring us peace and will guard our hearts from sin and will lead us into a life of worship. And we need to think about those things in our life that are worthy of great applause. So it really is true. Noble thinking produces noble living. Righteous thinking produces righteous living. Pure thinking produces pure living. Holy thinking produces holy living. And worshipful thinking produces a lifestyle of worship. Now, the list is endless as to why he's worthy of our praise. But before we get to a few of those, let me just remind you that there are many, many roadblocks that stand in the way of a worship-filled mind. And these roadblocks will hinder your lifestyle of worship. I just mentioned one for myself, a negative attitude, a negative spirit. But let me give you a few others. So what are some roadblocks that can hinder a lifestyle of worship? Well, there are many, but let me just mention a few that are prevalent in the church today. And I don't mean just this church. I mean the church in general among believers. First of all, cultural distractions. You want something that will hinder your worship? Get distracted by the world. Four things that the world always throws in front of us that's always present every day of your life money, sex, power, and things. Every time somebody moves away from the Lord, it will be for one of those reasons or all four money, sex, power, or things. You see, there's a massive battle going on for your mind. And we are exposed, believe it or not, to somewhere between 4,000 and 10,000 advertisements every day of our lives. And virtually every one of these ads is about one of those four things, money, sex, power, or things. And sometimes they'll use sex to get your money. Sometimes they'll use money to attract you to power. You see the combination of it all. And here's the funny thing. It's the same four things that Satan's been using since day one. It's the same old tricks, just presented in a different way. So most ads, in and of themselves, are not evil by any means, but they are all vying for our attention, our minds, our dollars, or our commitment of some sort. It's no wonder our minds stay so distracted by cultural distractions. But these things are not only roadblocks to a worship-filled mind, but some of these things can destroy your life. I mean, I think about such things as pornography, I believe pornography is the great silent killer of the church today. It's the reason we have so much sexual abuse. It's the reason behind so much sex trafficking. It's the reason uh, behind all kinds of issues. So if that's an addiction of your life, I can't even stress enough to you tonight. Run from that. Above all else, Proverbs says, guard your heart if you want a mindset of worship, if you want a lifestyle of worship, then you have to get rid of the sin. Colossians chapter 3 verse 2 says, set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. So cultural distractions are, are one of the great roadblocks to us worshiping the Lord. Let me give you another one, a condescending spirit. Now this is prevalent in a lot of our churches. I recently read these words from Dave Roper on on critical rather than praiseworthy thoughts. He said, I've been asking myself lately, am I preoccupied with other people's imperfections? (laughs) Do I brood over their failures and their faults or their moral flaws? Do I consider only the wrong that they do, especially the wrong that they've done to me? Or do I reflect on those aspects of character that are morally excellent and worthy of praise? How many friends have, friendships have ended because someone's mistakes loomed large in our minds and we just couldn't get over it? How many marriages have died because we brooded or obsessed over our spouse's flaws? How many of us have alienated our children because we've endlessly chided them and harped on their failings rather than encouraged them with simple words of affirmation? A condescending spirit would destroy not only a marriage and a friendship, but can also destroy a church. How many churches have split because of the critical spirit of church members who got caught up in majoring on minor issues or had it out for the pastor or someone on the team? I talked to Scott Bowman just the other day, and we were talking about how good things are going in the church, right? But here's the thing. Satan will use the little stuff to start the murmuring and the condescending spirit, and suddenly you can find a faction church just like that simply because people develop a condescending spirit. Don't let that happen in your life. Be careful that you do not allow yourself to have a condescending spirit because it will lead to another roadblock to a praise-filled life, and that's called a critical tongue. (laughs) I mean, it's very dangerous, folks, to speak blessings and blasphemies from the same mouth. So as children of the king, we are not intended to speak proclamations of praise and profanities from the same tongue. Adorations and obscenities just don't mix. And if that's you today, then let the Spirit of God do a work in your heart and on your tongue so that out of your mouth comes words that are glorifying to Him and uplifting to others. James gives us great warning about that in chapter 3 of his book. So a biting tongue reveals what is coming from our minds, so we need to work to control our minds and our thoughts, but the work really begins with controlling everything that we let into our minds. So before we speak, maybe our best bet is to ask ourselves this question, is what I'm about to say really worth it? Just ask yourself that sometimes, is what I'm about to say worth it? Now... Writing this message has reminded me of how much I need to consistently work in my own life to rid of these roadblocks to a worship-filled mind. But I'm going to tell you right now, once you get rid of these roadblocks in your life, then it opens your heart and your mind up to an unhindered pathway to the purest of praise. So the last question I've got for you today is simply this. Why should I live a lifestyle of worship? Well, let me give you three reasons. First of all, For what he's made. Apinos, God is worthy of an applause for what he has made. Now let's just begin to think here about some things. What has he made? Well, the earth the mountains, the rivers. It's my wife's 50th birthday here last month, and so I took her on a very special trip, and we just got back yesterday after 37 hours of travel. I took her to Greece. It's been her lifetime goal to go to Santorini, Greece, and we went there. It cost me my whole life savings, but we went there. <laughs> and I sat there on the back deck of our, of our room overlooking one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen in my life. Maybe the most beautiful place on earth. And here's what I thought. Epinos. (laughs) God, you are so worthy of praise for what you've made. I mean, good grief, how anybody could think this was a big accident from a massive explosion is beyond me. The earth, the mountains, the rivers, the oceans, the lakes, the beaches, the deserts, all of this give us a picture of his power and his majesty. The forest, the plants, the animals, the birds, even the bugs. For crying out loud, there's 10,000 versions of Beatles. i mean if you if you can't just get an idea for his design and his creativity man if you just think about it for a minute it's going to bless you how about your dad he made your dad your mom your children your friends how about you do you know that you are a collection of 37 trillion cells and you started out with just two You have over 60,000 miles of blood vessels running through your compact body, which is held together by this amazing thing called skin that's incredibly powerful and incredibly pliable at the same time. You have a, a soul and a spirit, and every one of you have a unique DNA, a DNA makeup that has never and will never be the same in anyone else. I mean, you're fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God Almighty. Wow! Epinos, God's worthy of applause for for what he's made. But let me just go a little deeper. Oh, we're just getting started, y'all, hang on. Listen to this, the stars, the planets, the sun, the moon, the galaxies, and the expanse of the heavens. All of this just gives us a glimpse of his eternal existence and his glory. Have you ever just considered how amazing all this is? I mean, the universe is too massive for words. And it's still expanding. I think it's because when God said, let there be light, He never said, shut it off. So it's just still expanding. And it's amazing when you just look at the universe. And I've given you some of these examples before, but I've never given you this one. Consider the the Whirlpool Galaxy, for instance. This, This is 31 million light years away. How scientists found that, I'll never know. 31 million light... The measuring device for how we measure distance in the universe is not a ruler or a yardstick. It's a light year. Light travels, y'all, at 186 miles per second. And a light year, if you do the math, is 5.88 trillion miles. So if you want to go on vacation to the Whirlpool Galaxy, then you just got to multiply 5.88 trillion miles times 31 million years, and you'll arrive at your destination, the Whirlpool Galaxy. And this is just one galaxy among billions of galaxies, and this one galaxy alone has over 300 billion stars. Huh? We worship a huge and an awesome God, Epinos. Hey, but let's bring it a little closer to home. How about the Andromeda galaxy? You know, the Andromeda galaxy is the closest spiral galaxy we have to our very own Milky Way galaxy. The Andromeda galaxy is only 2 million light years away, so roughly 12 and a half trillion miles away. But I got a little bad news for you this morning. Do you know that the Andromeda galaxy is racing towards the Whirlpool galaxy at at a rate of 110 kilometers per second? And at that rate, it's gonna collide with the Milky Way galaxy in approximately 4 billion years. So we're okay for now, we're all right. But let me just bring it a little closer to home. How about the Milky Way galaxy? You know, there's hundreds of billions of stars in our galaxy alone, but within our galaxy is this little itsy bitsy teeny weeny star called the sun. And we live in a little tiny cul-de-sac of this Milky Way galaxy that we call our solar system. And that solar system, of course, is is circling around this little tiny star, which is, by other stars' comparisons, a very tiny little star. And it's 93 million miles away, the sun is. Now, at 186,000 miles per second at the speed of light, it only takes eight minutes from the surface of the sun and its power and its light to reach your forehead right here in Lynchburg. But the sun is huge to us, even though it's small compared to other stars. But compared to earth, it's a million times the size of earth. The sun is massive. You can fit 960,000 earths inside of the sun. So are you feeling a little small yet? And yet God put all this into existence with four words, let there be so listen, I was reading about this little boy and, and, and he, he was sitting at, at, at breakfast with his dad. And I'm, I've told you this story before, but I love it so much. He was sitting at breakfast with his dad and he said, hey, dad, what does heaven look like? And his dad said, man, that's a good question, son. Let me think about that. He thought about it for a little while, eating breakfast. And at the end of breakfast, he said, all right, son, I'll tell you what. When you get home today and they live in this little home that had a crawl space underneath he said when you get home today and you're playing underneath the crawl space with your trucks and everything just look up at the floorboard of the house i just want you to take a look so that night at dinner his son they're sitting at dinner it's one of those fall crisp clear evenings and it's already dark outside and his dad said, well, son, did you look up underneath the house? And he said, yeah, I looked up underneath when I was playing. And all I saw was these dirt dauber nests and spider webs. And it was gross, dad. So I want to know what heaven looks like. And his dad said, all right, I got a plan for you. When we finish dinner, we're going to go outside. So after dinner, they walked outside. And it was that cr- crisp, clear, beautiful, starry night. I even got a picture of it for you just so you can kind of get a, a glimpse for what that's like. It's like a night in Goode, Virginia, where it's just beautiful. And you can see, like, it feels like you can see every star. And he said, Now, son, now now, remind me again what you saw when you looked up at the floorboard of the house. He said, Well, I saw dirt, auburness, and spiderwebs. It was gross, Dad. And he said, Well, I want you to look up, son. You asked me what heaven looks like. I don't know that answer. But I know this that right there. And he pointed to those stars. That's just the floorboard. What a beautiful picture to take a moment and reflect on what he has made for us. And when you do that, can you do anything else but praise him for all of this? Epinos, God is worthy of an applause for what he has made. Let me give you another one. Epinos, God is worthy of applause for what he's done. Can we just start here? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus died on the cross and shed his innocent blood for us that we might be saved. He loved us when we didn't deserve it. He gave to us when he didn't have to. Can I just ask you, and if this spits you, raise your hand in praise. Has he ever pulled you out of a situation you didn't know how to get out of? Thank you. Has he ever lifted you out of a financial burden that you didn't see a solution to? Huh? Has he ever healed your body or your soul? Praise God Almighty. Has He ever given you joy in the midst of sorrow? Has He given you hope when you didn't see a way out? He is our living hope. He's the joy of our salvation. And He's provided for us this endless grace and bountiful mercies that are new every morning. Man, when you start thinking about that, your hearts are just burst in praise for what He's done. And I'm sure yours does too. When you just take a moment to think on these things. Apinos. God is worthy of our applause for what he has made and also for what he has done. But can I give you one other thing? God is worthy of an applause simply for who he is. Mm. And did you think about this? When you read that verse in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, that Jesus is the embodiment of every one of those things on that list that we're supposed to think about? Because Jesus is true. Jesus is honorable, Jesus is just, Jesus is pure, Jesus is lovely, Jesus is commendable, Jesus is virtuous, and Jesus is praiseworthy. Pinos. Let's give Jesus our applause, but let's not do it with just our mouths singing a few long little songs of praise on Sunday morning. And let's not just give him praise with our hand claps of approval or some whipped up feelings of euphoria. All that's good and all that's wonderful, but worship is so much more than that. Let's give Jesus praise with a lifestyle of worship that glorifies him in and through everything we say, everything we do, and every thought we think. You can literally change your thought life if you want to. How? By remembering that all that is best in this world is embodied in one single person. Jesus. Place your mind on Him. Link yourself to Him. Abide in Him. And when you do that, you're joined with the highest moral power in the universe because Jesus is the embodiment of everything Paul has commanded us to think about in this passage. So hold on to Jesus, worship Jesus, think about Jesus, live in Jesus, rest in Jesus. And one of the beautiful things in my life that I went through with this whole COVID experience that I told you about a couple weeks back was that it forced me to sit still. And that's the beautiful thing that COVID did for a lot of us. It forced us to get alone and just do nothing. Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher, would sometimes go into the woods for three, four days at a time. Nobody even knew where he went. He was just out there contemplating the glory of God. And so today, to close, oh, and by the way, during COVID, I I was listening to praise songs a lot. And the one song that just kept speaking so deeply into my spirit was that little song, Great Are You, Lord?, it's your breath in my lungs came to mean a whole lot more to me when I couldn't get any breath into my lungs and so I worship you and I praise you with an abandonment and a reckless spirit with passion and with knowledge and so that song blessed me and I listened to it over and over again And so I asked the band, if they would, just to come out and begin to softly play that song underneath what I'm about to do with you here today. Because the fact is, some of us, we don't ever just take the time to just meditate on who God is. And so today, as we close the service, that's what we're going to do. We're just going to take a few moments and consider who he is. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to put your phone away, put your pens away, your notes away, put whatever you need to do. If you need to move away from the person beside you because they're distracting you, whatever you need to do. Maybe you need to bow your heads. Maybe you want to stand. Maybe you want to sit. I don't care. It doesn't matter. All I'm asking you to do is to do this. For one time, maybe the first time in your life, focus your mind's attention and your heart's affection on the Lord. When I was sitting there in that hospital bed with COVID, I just began to write down who God is. And I wrote a long list. And I'm, I've never gotten through reading this list without getting emotional. Simply because there's so many things on this list that mean so much to me. So I'm just going to begin to lead this list. And if you want to shout hallelujah, great. If you want to let out a a hand clap of praise, great. If you just want to sit there quietly, great. But as I read this list, I want you to consider just for a few moments who He is. First of all, He is great. We sung about that this morning. He is great, He is awesome. He is holy. He is eternal. He is indescribable. He is worthy. He is righteous. He is almighty. He is healer. Thank God you are a healer. He is life giver. He is for giver. (laughs) He's protector he is provider he is way maker wow he is chain breaker he is redeemer oh he is rescuer he is with us he is savior and he is friend oh folks he's the bread of life He's the living water. He is the light of the world. He's the open door. He's the great shepherd. He's the son of man and the son of God. He is the resurrection and the life. He's the true vine. He's a mighty fortress. He is all powerful. He is omnipresent. He's the prince of peace and he is wonderful and he is counselor and he is my deliverer and he's our helper and he's our guide and he's our refuge he is alpha and omega he's the first and the last he is almighty creator he is hope giver he is mountain mover he is miracle worker he is promise keeper he is light in the darkness he is the way he is the truth He is the life. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is judge over all. Come on, I want to hear it. Sing it to him. Come on. All the earth will comes your way this week, folks, no matter what comes your way, Great are you. problems, trials, situations, good and bad, I challenge you to have a mindset of worship. Live your life for Him. Fall in love with Him. And if you'll do that as an individual, we're going to come in here next Sunday ready to charge hell with a water pistol. God bless you as you go.
1: I want to thank you for joining with us today. If you've never come to the place of recognition in your life of being a sinner and needing a savior, you can do so right now. Believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again to give you eternal life. Just ask him to save you today you would like to talk further about what it is that God has done for you in the giving of his son Jesus, we would love to chat with you about that. I would encourage you to email us at the address that is on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. We would love to connect with you to help you begin a brand new journey with Jesus Christ in your life. And if you would like to help to contribute to our ministry as we take this message of the gospel around the world, go to the link on the screen today and help us help others with the amazing message of God's love, to let them know that God loves them, that Christ died for them, that He rose again, and through Christ, we have hope.